We are in the series that we started this year, sermon-wise, uh, on the topic of the Bible. As we said all along, the phrase, the Bible means the books, right? The books, because the Bible is not really a book. The Bible is a collection of a bunch of books all bound into one big binder. Actually, the Bible is not a collection of books. It's two collections of books, right? It's the Hebrew scriptures and it's the Christian scriptures, and those combined together, uh, bound those two collections together. We call it all of our Bible, but it just means the books. And so we're studying the Hebrew scriptures uh, first because they come first. So we've got to take a journey through the books or through the Bible. And we start with the Hebrew scriptures and we be, or the Old Testament, and we begin with the Pentateuch, the first five books that were written under the leadership of Moses. And as uh, we read these books, we find uh, that some of them are about the day and age in which Moses lived. But the first one of those books was called Genesis. And it was the backstory of how the world began and all the beginning stuff. We discussed that the last couple of weeks. And then today we're going to talk about the, 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 the Hebrew patriarchs. The Hebrew patriarchs. These are the, fir- the first parents, the ancestors, the forefathers of the people of Israel. Uh, Moses is writing the story, but hundreds of years before he was alive, the nation started with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Jacob's children, including Joseph. So we're going to start with the Hebrew with the Hebrew OGs today, right? We're going to start with them and take a look at their story. And um, the first two, the first two of them are um, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. Now, uh, Abraham and Sarah are. Um, just so as you know this, as we read some verses, we're reading a lot of verses today. Just so you know, um, their names are changed a little bit. Early on, they were known as Abram and Sarai. And then at some point along the line, we're not going to pause when it happens to make a note of it, but at some point along the line, through some ups and downs and some wins and losses of theirs, God comes along and says, I'm going to change Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And you'll just see that, the, you know, it's, it's talked about in the scripture. You can read it yourself. But I want to point that out that we'll see those interchangeably today. Same people. Abraham and Sarah lived in a, a, town, a place called Ur. It was in the land of the Chaldeans. In this Chaldean land, they lived, they were very wealthy. If you read Genesis chapter number 11, the back half of that chapter, you'll see their ancestry, and they were well off. They had a lot of livestock, they had a lot of wealth, and they had a lot of servants. But they had no children. And Abraham and Sarah really, really wanted children, but they couldn't have any. They tried, but for some reason they just could not get, they couldn't get pregnant. And so this went on for a while. And we start our story today, and we'll read some verses in Genesis chapter 12. It says in verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So again, this is a big move. He says, leave everything behind, the place you grew up and your family, and go to some place I'll tell you when you get there. Now, to a move like this is, is not insignificant. It's not like you just you could fly back, uh, catch a Southwest flight or um, maybe an Uber if it's closer. You just, once you've moved, you're pretty much not, maybe never going to go back. I mean, this is a big ordeal. And they, I mean, it's, it's his wife, it's all their wealth and their service and their cattle. He's go, I'm taking you somewhere else. And then God makes a promise in verse 2. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Now, God has fulfilled that promise. Spoiler alert, in case you didn't know, it worked, right? Like, I mean, is, is it a great nation? Has God made uh, Abraham and Sarah's descendants in the nation of Israel? They're still around today. 
And not just Abraham and Sarah's son, but other children that Abraham had. There's a whole lot of nations today. I mean, God well fulfilled that promise. And he said, I will make you famous and uh, bless you and make you famous. Well, let's, let's do a little test. How many of you have heard the name of Abraham before you came to church today? You've already heard that name before, right? That's, that's what I thought. We're all, we all have. He, it worked, right? I mean, all the, you know, just so his children. It's interesting that the two largest religions of the world uh, combined make up over the half of the world's total population, which is remarkable if you think about it. People from everywhere. Over half of the world's population falls into the two largest religions, and both of them trace their uh, claims back to Abraham. Abraham. Definitely, God blessed him and made him famous. And God said, you'll be a blessing to others. And he has been. Uh, boy, over and over again throughout history and through the birth of Jesus Christ, who blessed the world uh, as was promised through his lineage. And so it's a powerful story. Verse three, God says, I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Well, can you imagine Abraham explaining this to, to Mrs. Abraham? Hey, Sarah, been talking to God. Oh, really? Talking to God, eh? How's God doing? Oh, pretty good, thank you. Um, he told me something I want to pass on to you. Oh, yeah, what's that? Well, we're going to pack up all of our stuff and we're going to leave and go far away. Oh, wait a minute now. What do you mean go far away? Like, this is where we grew up. This is our hometown. This is where our favorite, you know, favorite restaurants are, Okay. I mean, you know, I got it all figured out. I mean, you know, DoorDash, they know right where I live. I mean, this is, I don't want to move away from here. Really? Yep. But wait a minute, Abraham, this is our family. All of our relatives are here. I mean, we have no kids that have been able, this is where our whole support system's at. You're saying that God's telling, yep, we just trust him. I'm, I'm going to trust, trust me, let's trust him. Let's go. Well, okay, fine, where are we going? I don't know yet. He said go that way, and when we get there, He'll let us know. Okay, we're going to go someplace. I don't even know where we're going yet. Yeah, just, that's what God said. Let's just, let's just believe him. And they did. Actually, if you read back into chapter 11 a little bit, you'll see some details. Actually, you'll see details from Genesis 11, Genesis 12, and a chapter in the New Testament when the, the deacon Stephen tells the story with some more detail. And that story is this. Basically, that Abraham left his homeland like God told him and his family, but his family didn't want him to leave, so they went with him. Kind of like I told Michelle, you know, if you ever leave me, take me with you, you know. So, I mean, they all went with them. They all packed them. They just took on a journey here. And um, as they left, they got tired of the journey and they stopped along the way and um, settled down in a, another city. And while they were there, their brother, Abraham's brother, Haran, dies. They actually named the city after him, the city of Haran. And they stay there all the way until Abraham's dad dies. He didn't continue this journey. They, he did it initially, but when the family went with him and stopped, he stopped with them. And then he stayed until his dad died. After burying his dad, him and Sarah pick up. Now, in the process of all that, Abraham has a nephew named Lot, who is the son of his brother Haran, who died. And Lot inherited his dad's wealth, but he did not have a father figure. So he latched onto Abraham and Sarah. And as they finally left their family and went to this place that God told them to go to, wherever that was at, Lot goes with them as part of their family, the closest thing they have to a son. They finally arrive where they're going. Genesis 12, 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. They are, they're in the land of Canaan at that time. And God says, we've arrived. This is the land I'm going to give your descendants. 
And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, I always wonder, did Abram and Sarah follow the Lord out of some deep, strong faith that you and I wonder about? Like, did, they, did they just say, I'll go anywhere God sends me, no matter how crazy it sounds, and, and I'm just willing to do it, maybe? Did, did the promise of a child that they couldn't have make the difference? Did Abraham think, I'll have a child and God promised me a great nation and I can leave a legacy behind? Did Sarah just say, I, I don't care, I just want a, a, I want a baby to hold, I want a child and I'll just go? If, if that's part of the deal, I don't know about this, but it's worth it. I don't know what, what got them to, to make the plunge, but they went and they arrived. But when they arrived, no baby came. I don't know how many nights they stayed awake and wondered. If I could be very blunt a little bit here, how many cycles or periods they experienced and no baby. And wondering, did we get it wrong? Did we hear God wrong? Did we, did we do something wrong? Is this a mistake? And time keeps passing and they're there, far from home and nothing's happened. Well, anyhow, the story continues in Genesis 12 and verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, growing up in, in studying the Bible and being around church, I've heard it said before, I probably have said it before myself early on, and people say that Abraham showed a lack of faith here in leaving the land of Canaan that God brought him to because of the famine and going down into Egypt was a lack of faith. He just stayed where God brought him to. And I don't know that that's a fair assessment. That's possible. That's, that, that, but even if that's true, let me, just, let me just push at that a little bit. First of all, it's not like Abraham went back home where he came from and just settled back there where he was comfortable and never returned. He was still way far from home where God sent him. He just said there's an economic downturn and I'm going to go to a nearby city where there's more opportunity. And so it kind of, that's all that was. He wasn't, a, he wasn't back home by going here. He was just staying there for a little while. But even if it was a temporary relapse of, of faith in where God was taking them to, I mean, can you blame the guy? They've gone so far, there's no promises yet. You've got to wonder where you are. It's a famine going on. Either way, they're in Egypt. While they're there, in verse 11, it says, As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. I wonder what Sarai thought. She's like, oh, well, thank you. So nice of you to notice. Like, I didn't know what you were thinking about. I thought you were thinking about your fantasy football team over there. I didn't know what you were. You're, you're, I'm a beautiful woman. Thank you for noticing or saying that. And then he continues. He said, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. Oh, that's, that's what you're thinking about? Yeah, so here's what he says. So please tell them that you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Okay, time out, Abraham. So your plan is, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's possible that the people there will, 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 they might just leave us alone and let us be a married couple. Or it's possible that they might, because I'm such a beautiful woman apparently, hurt you to get to me. But we don't know, right? We don't know. And so your plan is, on the chance that could put you in harm's way, to say that you're my sister and put me in harm's way so that they'll leave you alone and treat you well. Yeah, that's the plan. Oh, okay. And they go with it. And sure enough, they arrive in the city and, and the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's a title for all the different kings of Egypt, like emperor, king, Pharaoh. The Pharaoh takes her and puts her into his harem. Ladies, how are we doing here? You know, he's, he's, in her, he's in her harem. 
Like she, he's, with, he's not with her husband or with her people. She's, he's with, she's in this place with the royal servants taking care of her and some other women waiting for the king to, to desire to spend time with her, if you know what I mean. And I doubt he was, he looked like Robert Redford, by the way, or Chris Hemsworth or whatever. But even if he did, is this what you want? To be put some guy's harem and be called up when it's time, you know? Oh, good. This is my dream. Abraham back there saying, hey, it's okay. Now they're not going to kill me for her. And they're actually taking him care of him. Like, hey, a nice sister you got there. And he's getting opportunities and business and everything else is wonderful. We have this, this faith journey that God sent us on. You know that part where you said that God told us to leave our family and go way over here and he would bless us and you told me to trust you and trust God. But now that we're in Egypt and you're afraid you, you don't trust God will take care of us, I don't understand this. So she's in harm's way. So God intervenes. God actually sends plagues on the Pharaoh's household and plagues them because he, she was there, which had been the first clue the Egyptians should never want to mess with the children of Israel because even hundreds of years later, there's plagues with those people coming around, you know. But anyhow, uh, he's, he's plagued. He wants to, he gets his, his wise men and his thinkers together and says, why are we getting judged? Is there a spiritual problem here? And they figure out that it happened about the time that Sarah shows up into their house. And he does a little investigative journalism and he figures out that Abraham and Sarah are really married. And he's mad. And in fact, it says, in, uh, after confronting them partially, it says in Genesis 12, 20, Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them and sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. So he sends his bouncers, you know. He's like, boots them out, puts their sign on the doorpost of the gate, don't serve these people if they come back. You know, I mean, they're out. And I know, I mean, it could have been a whole lot worse for Sarah, right? It could have been a whole lot worse. That, could have, that story could have gotten a lot, ooh, worse. And God intervened. But still, how embarrassing. They're walking away. Don't look back. Just keep going. I mean, he's got all his family, his servants, his, his cattle. And they're all just, they're all leaving Egypt. How embarrassing. And I wonder what Sarah felt and thought. Anyhow, moving on. <laughs> Genesis uh, 13 and 14 tell the story that at some point, Lot, Abraham and Sarah's nephew, Lot decides to say, I, I want to move away. We're too big. My, my flocks have grown big. Your flocks have grown big. Our servants are fighting. I just want to kind of go our separate ways. And again, this is the only family that Abraham and Sarah have. They moved away from everybody, everybody else. They have no kids. Lot's their nephew. He says, I'm out of here. So Abraham says, where do you want to go? He says, I'm going to go this direction towards the well-watered plains of Jordan. He ends up moving into the city of Sodom, actually. And Abraham stays there with Sarah that much more alone. And at some point, the city of Sodom is conquered. Abraham has a bunch of servants. He hears about the, his family being taken captive. He arms his servants. They go on a rescue mission, set them free, free the city of Sodom, refuse payment for doing so. He meets a man named Melchizedek, who's a high priest of God, who's described in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And we're not going to discuss any of that. There are several stories of Abraham's life that we're not going to discuss today. Several things that we just can't do at all. Or we'll be here till three o'clock and I'm hungry at some point. So, just skipping some of these. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to read these on your own this week, okay? If you read Genesis chapters 12 through Genesis chapters 23, you'll get the, the, the story. This is a good homework assignment if you want to read the full, all the ones we're, we're not going to take time to look at. But I'm kind of running through the large part, portions of them to, to make some points here in Abraham's life. Some point after all of the adventures that I kind of just briefly mentioned and kind of skipped, 
In the middle of all of that, God comes down and appears to Abraham for the fourth time. Folks, fourth time in the story. And it's not the last time. He's going to come down two more times and and give Abraham the same exact message. I'm going to bless you, give you a son with Sarah, make a great nation out of you, bless all the nations of the earth. Four times so far in the next part of the story. And we read that, like, why does God keep doing the same thing? In fact, if you're reading the chapters, you might be like, this reading is getting redundant. I've already read this part. Why does God do this again? And the answer is very simple. Abraham needed affirmation. He needed to know. Don't you understand how that is? Don't we want affirmation from people to know that they're still with us? Your spouse, you look at your spouse and say, do you, do you, still, do you still love me? You never, you never say it. Listen, huh? listen. I told you 18 years ago when I married you, I told you that I loved you. If I ever changed my mind, you'll be the first person to know. Oh, well, okay. I'd like to hear it once in a while. I just want to know that you're still with me. I just want to know that you're still in this, despite the ups and downs. And Abraham had had some ups and downs. He had the trusting God. He had the relapse in Egypt. He had the losing his nephew, their family, and, and that loss. He had the military expedition to save, his, some, save some people. And other things, he met this amazing person. All these things have happened, and along his ups and downs, God comes along and says four times now, Abraham, I'm still with you. I haven't gone away. I didn't leave when you blew it. I didn't leave when you were on top side. I didn't leave when you, got, when you had it figured out without me. I am still here, and my promises still stand. And we all need that, don't we? Anyhow. It says this in, Ab- in Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's a famous verse right there. That verse will be quoted often in the Christian scriptures later on. Paul writes it to the, to the Romans, and also in the book of Galatians. It's a, it's a center thought in the Christian scriptures. Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And we, we look at that and we might be thinking to ourselves, um, that's cool, Arlen, good for them, but I don't have that much faith. I'm not that person of such great faith or that righteous. I can't relate to that. Are you sure? Have you been listening to the story we've been telling so far? It wasn't exactly a straight line of awesomeness. And it's not over yet. Are you sure that we can't relate to Abraham and be considered righteous because of faith. Let's keep going. In fact, speak, um, I want to say this to you real quick. Abraham, sometimes, if you read the story, he acted in fear, right? Sometimes Abraham acted in fear rather than faith because faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is choosing to follow God in the face of fear. And fear will come and it's just going to be what it is. But what you do when fear comes, whether you do what's right and act in faith or whether you don't, is, is our choice. But, but fear does not make the difference what we do in our fear. Choosing to do what's right even when we are afraid. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we make mistakes because we're not sure. We mishandle things because we're not sure. But faith is also choosing to return after failure. This is such a big deal. It's the ability to say, instead of saying, I'm done, I failed, I'm not cut out for this stuff, I'm just give up, that's just who I am, and being done, faith also says, I'm gonna come back to following and trusting and doing the right thing even after I have some failure. 
I'm saying that for this reason. Because and someone needs to hear this today, I'm sure of it. But please hear what I'm saying. A person's greatest act of faith may just be getting up and following the Lord again after failure. After a season of just saying, I just fell apart. But getting back up and following the Lord again may just be more than any single awesome act that we call acts of faith, might just be the faith it takes to come and believe that there's a path back and that God, that it's a life worth pursuing and living even though we struggle along the way. Speaking of failure, speaking of failure, let's keep going. Genesis 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Hagar, they may have picked her up as a servant while they were in the land of Egypt for a little while. And when it says servant here, it's hard to picture what a servant is. It's not exactly a slave, like we think of slavery, like chattel slavery to a couple of hundred years ago in our country and other parts of the world. Nor is it like an employee at your job. I know some of you at your job, you feel like you're more like a slave probably, but you're not your employee because you can quit tomorrow. You may not want to quit tomorrow because you don't have another job lined up or you don't pay as well, but you can. You can, right? Um, so she's, not, she's more like an employee than a slave, obviously. She's a servant, but the word is good because it was just a station of life. There was the haves and the have-nots, even more than there are now in this time and part of the world. And, and again, women were so, I mean, it's such a patriarchal time, and women are, such, um, are so overlooked. And she's a servant. There's no other space for her to go in life. And so being a servant to someone like this probably almost felt like slavery, even though it wasn't, because you could walk away, but what would you do? Where would you go? And what, what opportunities do you have other than to be a servant? And so she's working for Abraham and Sarah, and Sarai realizes something. Verse 2, Sarai says to Abram, she says, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. She says, Look, Abram, obviously one of us is the reason we can't have kids. And it might be me, it might be you, but I think it's me. So why don't you take my servant and sleep with her, and then... We'll know if it's me, and you can have children, and I can have children through her, which is kind of creepy in a lot of ways. Just take her and have children. And then it says Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Okay, sounds good to me. I wonder what, I wonder what Hagar thought of this idea. You know, what was, her, what was her thoughts in the process? It's really eerie stuff. But this is the plan, and Abram does go in. And sleeps with Hagar. And she gets pregnant. And everything shifts immediately in the house. Everything shifts. And the story is recorded that Hagar shows contempt towards Sarai and despises her. And I'm not trying to doubt that. Don't get mad at me if you don't like this part. But I'm not, trying to, I'm not doubting that. But let me just say this anyhow. The story is written by the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, so they probably have their version of the story. There's usually two sides to every story. It's possible that Hagar just came in and got pregnant and said, you know, your man, I'm going to have a baby with your man, you can't. You know, and she got despised her and showed her contempt. It's also possible that, that Sarah was very insecure by the, the, this moment and all the things they've been hoping and dreaming for, and she mis saw the change dynamic as being disrespectful and misread everything. Or a little bit of both. 
that maybe Hagar felt a little bit more relaxed and things had changed and she's expecting and things are fine. And maybe Sarai over here is like, she's shifting in her attitude. I think she's downing, dissing me. I don't know if it was all of one or all of the other, or a little bit of both, but obviously, ladies and men, the household dynamic shifted. And Sarah's not happy. And she says to Abraham in verse uh, number uh, five, she says to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. And Abraham's probably like, it's my fault, what? Come on, this was your idea. I just did what you said. You should never have listened to me. Did I get in trouble for not listening to you? What am I supposed to do? So he's like, I just want a large whiskey. I don't know. He's just like trying to figure this out. And Sarah's angry and, and she's like, it's your, God's going to judge you. And he's like, fine, just, he says in verse number six, look, she's your servant. Just do what you want to with her. Just deal with her as you want to. You're the boss. Just leave me alone. <laughs> and Sarai treated Hagar harshly, so harshly that she finally ran away. Now, you have to know how bad that was. Hagar has nowhere to run. It's not like she could go down to the Better Business Bureau and file a complaint or get a small business loan and start her own job. There's no place to go in life. Where she runs off is basically to either go out and die or get herself into a worse situation. And she's pregnant. It's not even easy. She's pregnant. She's even got more things to worry about. And yet, as she runs away, it must have been pretty bad treatment from Sarai to cause her to run. But she ran. And Sarai, one less pregnant maid around. But God appears to Hagar, and this is so important. Because to, to so many of us, the, the servants, we don't know all the servants that Abraham and Sarah had. They have no names because they're not the ones that the story's about. And in this case, they're not wealthy or privileged. They're the ones who everyone overlooks. And so we don't always get their stories and their names in history, do you? But we get Hagar's, so we get a little glimpse into people that you might think should get overlooked. But God didn't overlook her. God appears to Hagar and says to her, what's wrong, Hagar. I'm running from my mistress. She's mistreating me. And God says, where are you going to go, Hagar? Where are you going to go? You're pregnant. There's no better options out here. Verse number nine, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. He says, Hagar, there's no better options out here in this world for you. Go back and just, you return and things have calmed down, play nice and, and just submit to her. And, and at least you have, you'll be okay, you'll be cared for. And I'm watching, I'll take care of you, and don't worry, you're going to have a great family. And Hagar is so touched by God's presence that she goes back. And here's what she says in verse 13, thereafter, from that point on, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And this is so powerful and so beautiful. Because people like to argue about What's God's name? There's a lot of debates about what's God's name, right? Even hundreds of hundreds of years after Abraham was around, Moses is sitting there saying, God, who do I say your name is? What do, I, what do we call you, right? And I've seen people today, we have to argue about who, who has the right name for God. Sometimes we look at other religions that believe in a monotheistic God who created everything like we do, but they have a different name, and we're like, that's not his name, and then we fight with other Christians about the right name of God. You got the name wrong and pronounced it wrong, and we fight as if any of us can give God a label, really. 
Like we're going to put a label on the maker of everything, the God of all. We're going to put a label on him and everyone else is wrong and we're going to fight about people. Actually, it's this way, you know. And we like to do this with God. But what I love is this, is Hagar, she just had an encounter with God. And she says, I'm going to give him a name from now on. To me, he's the God who sees me. And that's the point. She made it personal. Because beyond all of our posturing and our, you know, telling everyone how it is and, you know, trying to get it right, it's all about a relationship, folks. God wants a relationship with you. And Hagar in that moment said, I'm making it personal. He's, here's my name for him. He's the God who sees me. The God who sees me. That's how I know you. And that's what I want for all of you to have a personal connection with God, and to know that he sees you. And Hagar grabbed that. I love it. Just little old Hagar. Goes back home and settles down, and she gives birth to a son, and Abraham names the son Ishmael. Well, in the next chapter, chapter 17, God appears to Abraham a fifth time and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you and your I'm going to give you and Sarah a son still. It's going to happen. And he reconfirms his promise again. And Abraham laughs. He's like, okay, God, listen, we've come to peace with the fact that we're not going to get kids. I'll tell you what, just bless my son Ishmael, okay? We'll call it even. Look, we followed you out here. You did give me a son an unconventional way. Let's just call it even and bless him. And I'm I'm good with that, God. We're, We're cool. And God says, no, I'm giving you and Sarah a son. But as for Ishmael, you're right, I will bless him. I'm going to turn him into a, a great mighty nation of 12 princes, just like I'll do with your, your descendants into 12 tribes. And I'll bless him too. But I'm, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And then, right after that, God appears a sixth time to Abraham, again, affirming through all of their ups and downs and their failures and their wrongs and their rights and their wins and their losses that he was still with them. Because we need to hear that. Don't we need to hear that sometimes? And God comes along. This time he shows up on the scene with two angels in tow. And remember last week's sermon about the angels? We talked about angels last week a little bit. It's interesting, in Genesis chapter 18, two angels show up with Abraham, to Abraham's house with the Lord. And then in the next chapter, two angels show up to Sodom to visit Lot. And in both cases, everyone recognizes that these are special guests. And they come to Abraham, and Abraham says, Sarah, quick, make some food, and they sit down to eat. And as they're sitting down outside of the tent, Sarah's inside maybe preparing or cleaning up, and she can't see them, but she can hear the conversation. And the Lord says to Abraham, again, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And it's been so long, and they're getting older now. And Sarah hears the Lord say that he's going to give her a son, and she laughs quietly to herself, shakes her head and laughs. Then when she goes outside, the Lord's like, why'd you laugh, Sarah? And she's like, I didn't laugh. What? You know, you ever do that before? You get caught. What? I didn't laugh. Oh, no, you laughed. I heard you. But it's going to happen, and then you're really going to laugh. You watch. Okay. God keeps reaffirming the promise. And I love to tell you that next, the baby's born and they live happily ever after. But there's one more story I want to point out. Um, Again, go home this week and read Genesis 12 to 23 if you want some further insight into the bigger story that I'm telling. But in Genesis 20, we find another story that once again, Abraham, another famine comes to the land of Canaan. And again, they're living out in the middle of nowhere with their flocks and their servants and at some point during an economic downturn, you want to get closer to where there's a stronger economy, maybe to a city. And they can't go back to Egypt because they went there before and that didn't turn out very well. But they went to another city called Gerar, which is a city of the Philistines later on. That would be a mighty city. They go to Gerar and they settle down there to be closer to a better economic area during the downturn. 
And while they're there, Abraham once again says to Sarah, and by this time they had changed their names to Abraham and Sarah officially. He says, Sarah, tell them that you're my sister so they won't hurt me because you're so beautiful. Same story. And she's getting older now, so she must have been quite some woman. She's an older woman. And sure enough, the king Abimelech takes her into his harem. Again, this happens. And it's like, really, Abraham? We didn't learn from last time? And she's over here in harm's way. God knows what's going to happen, right? I mean, who wants to be called into the city of the king? And once again, God plugs Abimelech's house, and Abimelech figures out very quickly, and he, he is upset. And the story goes in Genesis 20, verse 9, and then Abimelech calls for Abraham and says, What have you done to us, he demanded? What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? And that's interesting. Because what Abimelech is saying is for me to take your wife and have this relationship with her unknowingly would be a sin against us. Would give me a sin. sin. And I want you to understand, what Abimelech was saying was, it's wrong. Abraham walks into these cities believing, and Abraham and Sarah walked into the cities believing that these people must have no moral fiber. Because they're not us. Sometimes we're guilty. We're all guilty of this sometimes, aren't we? We think that people who aren't like us, who aren't from where we're from or don't have our faith background or our faith exactly must not have very good moral fiber as if people of faith have always shown such great moral fiber themselves, right? But anyhow, they must not have more. So they assume the worst. And so therefore they must lie about who they are to protect themselves. So in other words, because I think that others, I'm going to assume others don't have moral fiber and, and, and character and integrity. I'm going to also compromise my integrity to, to make it work for myself. We see that all the time with Christians today. We think the worst of other people and we compromise our own integrity. It's what they're doing here. And the king is mad. He's like, you're making me guilty. And, and, and he's upset. And so he says to Abraham, no one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Like, what got into you? And Abraham answers him in verse number 11. Abraham said, I thought this is a godless place. They will, they will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And then here comes the real shoe drop. Are you ready for it? Verse 12, here it comes. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. Oh. <laughs> Remember last week we talked about the marrying your sister stuff? Okay. This is about that bad. Except for his half-sister. So earlier in the story, I mentioned they, they moved to Haran and he, his dad died and they buried him. Apparently that was her dad too. They buried. They had the same dad and different moms. Now Abraham's son would later on marry his cousin. And their grand, one of their grandsons would marry one of his cousins. But this is a little creepier. He's marrying his half-sister, okay? So I didn't realize this until I read this story, but apparently the part of the Chaldean land that they came from was known in the Hebrew as Kentucky. I didn't know that until just now. But um, anyhow, what in the world? So he wasn't lying totally, I guess. And so he explains, he says, so when God called me to leave my father's home and travel from place to place, I told my wife, do me a favor, wherever you go, tell the people that I'm your brother. Just tell them that part to keep me safe, even if it puts you in harm's way. And so Abimelech chews them out. He chews out Abraham and he chews out Sarah and says, never lie again. And again, God protected them from harm. God protected her from a very uncomfortable situation. But how embarrassing still for the second time to have that same story happen. And I want to come back. There's a lesson to draw from that more than what I'm going to give you. But I want to wait another, another time because you like to think these things stop repeating themselves, but they don't. Anyhow, sometime after that, she finally gets pregnant. And it says in Genesis 21, verse 1, The Lord 
kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. And I love that. I love that. That's why I've called the story Abraham and Sarah because so many times it's such a patriarchal time and that's the way the world was. And it's the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the men's names. But this is Abraham and Sarah's story. And God says, I kept my word to Sarah. I did for Sarah what I had promised for Sarah. This is, this is her story, and Abraham's story. And she had a baby and they named him baby Isaac. Eventually, they finally received the promise. But here's what I wonder. Why the wait? Why all that time ago when they were first told by God to go to this place and he'd give them a, a children and a great, eventually make a great nation out of them, why when they followed God and came here and they fulfilled their end of the bargain, did God not immediately give them a baby? And they waited and waited. Why the wait? I don't know. I don't know. God never explains why it took so long to give them a son. And part of the promise of future generations, they didn't live long enough to see many generations. They were so old. They didn't even get to see the, the, the explosion of kids that their, great, that their grandkids would have. God's working went beyond their lifetime. And I don't know why they waited so long while they followed the Lord. But again, they did. And then something weird happens. At some point, everyone's doubting over the new baby. Oh, wasn't he cute? And Sarah looks out and she sees Ishmael. Remember, Hagar had a baby named Ishmael, who's now four, is it 14 years later. He's 14 years old now. That's how long it's been. And Hagar is out there, and her son Ishmael's 14 years old, and she sees him, says, making fun of her baby Isaac. Now, again, was he making fun of the baby? Maybe he was just a mean teenager. Or maybe he was just an awkward kid, a 14-year-old kid and just being silly and his frontal lobe was not fully developed yet and, and she just misunderstood him and misjudged him. Maybe she just didn't like him. I don't know the story. But Sarah sees them making fun of her mind of her baby and she's like, I don't want, she says to Abraham, I don't want them in our house. Take her and her son and just send them on their way. We're done. They're not longer at work for us. Send, send them out of here. And Abraham is upset because that's his son. That's his son for the last 14 years, the only son he's had until Isaac. They've gone fishing together. They've done things together. This is his boy. And Sarah's like, he's like, Sarah, no, out. It's interesting because all the times that she didn't put her foot down, like, like, tell them that you're my sister. Okay. But now she's like, I want them out of here. And Abraham's like, okay, well, I'm not fighting this battle. And so it says in, this, in, in Genesis 21, 14, that Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with her son and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. And this is a sad story because what the outcome is about to be, without intervention, the outcome is about to be death. There's no place to go. What are they gonna do? They're just, not, they're in no man's land and there's no one, they have nothing, they have no means. And the water and the food run out. And it tells us in, in verse number 15 here, when the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. And, you know, it's just a sad thing. She's like, we're, we're going to just collapse. We've, we've been tired from walking. We're out of supplies. We'll eventually pass out from fatigue, so I will die. I don't want to see it. And she's crying. But I love verse 17. I love it. It says, but God heard the boy crying. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. 
God has heard the voice of the boy crying as he lies there. The same guy that she encountered when she was pregnant and on the run, that she named the God who sees me, is there saying, God, Hagar, not only do I see you, but I hear your son. I see you, and I hear you. And he says to her in verse 18, Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And they live. They go on, and a little bit of the story we have in Genesis, not much because it's not their story, but they establish a city. He, has this, he gets married eventually, has a bunch of kids, they have a city of their own. He's, a, he's an incredible young man. Um, and eventually through history we know that, that he, he goes on and succeeds. And it's interesting because, again, they're not the main characters of the story. They're the um, casualties, the expendables, they're the ensign Rickies, right? They're the ones that you just like, the servants that come and go and survive or don't, we don't care. But all of a sudden, in the middle of all of this, here God is hearing her prayer, seeing her, hearing them, and taking care of them because they matter. Because God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, privileged or not, man or woman, whatever, he hears us. Well, sure enough, back to Abraham and Sarah, they finally have their baby. All those years of leaving their family, losing so much, stumbling in lack of faith, losing their nephew, fighting to protect him despite his own bad decisions, um, encountering God, failing again, trusting God again. They finally have their baby Isaac. And Isaac grows up. He becomes a teenager himself. He becomes an adult himself. And when, and when Isaac was fully grown, when he was an adult, Sarah finally died. They were older when they had him. And it says, when Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. There Abraham remembered the story of the woman that he married and said, honey, let's go on this wild adventure together and God's gonna take us far away. And they went, not knowing where they were going and the promises that weren't fulfilled in all their successes and their defeats and their ups and their downs and their highs and their lows. And now she's gone. Their son has grown. They've experienced their dream and she's gone. And he is experiencing with Sarah the same thing that all of us experience when we find love. You fall in love and you meet someone and you build a life, but at some point one of us will go first and the other lays them to rest. And that's what's going on with Abraham now. Verse three, then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, here I am a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. And he buys some land that will become not only her burial place, but his future burial place and his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons. It'll become a cemetery for his future family. And it all starts by buying it so he can lay down his bride in the ground. And that's the end of their story. And the end of the story today will continue further next week. But I want to take some time to go back and look at one verse we saw earlier. Just one verse. Genesis 15, 6 says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, I chose the parts of the story to focus on that I chose today on purpose. Because that's a powerful statement of Abraham's faith. We sing about it. 
you know, and, and God's promised them a descendants the, and a spiritual family and an earthly family. The earthly nation is a stands of the seashore, innumerable. That would be his posterity through his bloodline. And a spiritual family is the stars of the heaven, innumerable. That would be the spiritual line that would come through Jesus Christ, his descendant, as, as, as our Savior. And so why we sing the song in junior church when we were little, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons of Father right arm, left arm, right foot, you know. Maybe you don't know that one, it doesn't matter. Anyhow, um, point being that Abraham is this epic person and we read the story, we read this verse and he's counted as righteous because of his faith. But I wanted you to see the parts of the story we saw because it wasn't a straight line. It's an interesting assessment considering they had some failures in the story, didn't they? He really isn't that different than us. In fact, in the story, Abraham failed twice to prioritize Sarah as his wife and put her in harm's way for his own security. Abraham and Sarah together failed in the whole scenario with how they dealt with Hagar and her pregnancy and her treatment and eventually casting her out. In fact, if you think about this, Hagar's descendants through Ishmael, a lot of the Middle East drama that we have today and a lot of the wars today, a lot of it come down to people arguing over the land rights as the sons of Abraham through Isaac and Ishmael. The two major religions of the world today, the two biggest ones uh, are Christianity and Islam, and both of them trace their roots back to Abraham. Christ, uh, the Christians, because we tack on to the Hebrews, it's really the Hebrew story, the Hebrews through Isaac being their descent, the sons of Isaac, and the Muslims through Islam being the proper heir of Abraham. Almost all the conflict and struggle you have today come from their choices. So it wasn't exactly a clean story. However, God did not cancel them over it. We live in a culture where everyone cancels each other. And I know that when I say the word cancel and cancel culture, we're like, oh, that's what other people do on the other side of the issues for me. Because they like to point fingers. But that's what we do. That's what all of us do. We just don't like it when others do it. It's bad when others do it, but we all do it. We're like, if I don't like what you believe about something, or if I don't like your position on something, I don't like the group you belong to, or I don't like something you did in your past, or I don't like something about you believe, I'm just going to write you off completely because I don't like something about you, so I'm just, nothing about you has any value to me. We all, we are guilty as humans to do it. We do it to our history. You know, these people, I don't care what they did in the past, if they had a, a failure, then they're just written off. We do that all the time. It's, it's just a human thing. And it shouldn't be done, but that's what we tend to do. But I'm thinking of like God doesn't do that. That God comes along to Abraham and Sarah, and despite their mess, he says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna count you as righteous because of your faith. Not that they always had awesome moments of faith, but because God said what pleases, we said it, we said it the last two weeks or three weeks, what pleases God is our faith in him. And he counted them as righteous because of it. Yes, there were consequences for their wrong. Don't make, don't make, make no mistake about this. When we do wrong, there are consequences. We, when we do wrong, there are consequences and they're never worth it. And when we do right, there's blessings in time. Sometimes it means sometimes later on. And Abraham had both. But either way, and in both scenarios, God said, I still see the faith. I didn't miss the faith, even amidst the failures. And I count you as righteous because of your faith. Faith that pleases God is not a faith that is wrapped in perfection. It's a faith that is found in continuance, even after failure. I said it earlier, sometimes the greatest thing 
the greatest thing that a person's greatest act of faith might just be getting up and following the Lord again after failure. Faith that pleases God is found in continuance even through failures. And even through struggles of doing the right thing and thinking it's not working out, why is it not working out? God can use more than the outcome of your story to bless the world. Like with Abraham, he can use the story of your struggle. We've all been blessed through Abraham's faithfulness, but we've all been blessed through Abraham's struggles because we can identify with those and his failures. And God can bless the story of your struggles and bless the world through that. God can take the story of your messy in-between and bless others through that. You see, God's desired outcome does not change based on whether the story goes the way you want it to go or not. God has a plan. God just wants someone who is willing. He wanted to do something special. He didn't need special people. He needed willing people. Not perfect people, because all that he has is imperfect people to work with. God wants someone willing to trust him, that, will, that he will ultimately do what he says he will do. In his way, not always ours. In his timing, not ours. But we're blessed to play a part of the story he's telling through us. So my challenge to you today is to live lives of faith. Live lives of faith. Trusting God and following him. And when we stumble or when we fail, getting back up, get back up, and get back to doing and trusting and following him once again. Because in the end, that's the faith that makes us righteous before God. And let me make this clear. This is not the gospel. I'm talking about living your life righteously. The gospel is that we're none of us, we're all sinners. In that sense, there's none righteous, no, not one. That we all need a savior. That's what Jesus died on the cross, to be our savior. When it comes to saving me, being made right with God for our sin debt, Jesus died to take care of that sin debt, and he invites us by faith to trust in his sacrifice for us, and that makes us righteous before God. But it doesn't stop at salvation. Your entire life is a life of faith when it's a life that trusts God in every aspect and follows God along the way. You don't follow God if you don't trust him. So trust him and follow him. And as you do, and as you live that way, God is pleased.